0: Today on Blue 58, our position-by-position review of the 2020 Packers now turns to defense. The Packers' edge rushers powered much of the team's success on defense in 2019, and their slower 2020 was a big part of the defense's step backwards. So what's the outlook there? Then the Packers' safety were caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place, playing in a difficult scheme with little depth. Could that change in 2021? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk edge rushers. We're going to talk safety. It is a defense heavy episode in your podcast listening feed today. But first, we are going to talk about the NFL salary cap situation. Word coming out uh, from some of the league insiders, the football knowers, the Adam Schefters, and so on of the world, that the salary cap is going to be no lower than $180 million. That is good news. That is in line with what we have kind of predicted all along. It's probably not going to be quite as bad as everybody thinks it is. But other than the occasional issues or reports about numbers, I intentionally have not said a lot about the salary cap. And that is for a couple reasons. And I wanted to touch on that first uh, before we got too far into the defensive portion of the episode today. Those reasons are three. First, the situation is still uncertain. A couple weeks ago, maybe even last week, I don't know, how does time work anymore? Last week or so, uh, the report was it was going to be in the 101 dollars to $185 million range. Today, there's another report out that says no lower than $180 million. The conventional wisdom all along was that it was going to drop to $175 million do you get where we're going here? Nobody really knows what the situation is going to be. So things are still uncertain. And I'm not entirely sure that I'd be confident that'd be less than $200 million. Who knows, though? Who knows what could happen? So there's really no point in weighing on in on whether the Packers will make this move or that move or sign this person or what kind of space they're going to have until we know exactly what that number is going to be. Secondly, that uncertainty combined with the general difficulty the Packers are facing makes it really hard to be prescriptive, which is kind of what I was just touching on there. I would rather be descriptive once things happen than try to be prescriptive saying, here's what they should do. I would rather talk about when it happens, here's why they did what they did, because we can start to see the whole picture better that way. And if we're trying to be prescriptive, With limited information, we're just going to end up looking silly. I would rather talk about things like David Bakhtiari restructuring his contract and say, here's what that does for the Packers and here's why it's important, than say the Packers should restructure Aaron Rodgers, extend Devontae Adams, cut this guy, cut that guy, extend this guy, and so on. Because... The variables are all going to change. So let's talk about stuff as it happens and try to figure out why the Packers are doing what they are doing. Finally, and this should become obvious to everyone this offseason, but it is worth saying again and again and again, the salary cap is made up and using it for analysis is just a crutch. We should be very careful to say this team cannot afford player X. Now, maybe they can't, but those situations are a lot fewer and farther between than the league would have, you believe. The salary cap really isn't that much of an impediment for teams doing what they really want to do. There is always a way around it. That's why people like Russ Ball have jobs. The salary cap does not actually stop you from doing anything, but the salary cap is an accounting problem. It doesn't stop you from doing things, but it forces you to move things around and give people certain protections and make sure that they can't be cut and stuff like that. It doesn't actually stop you from spending all that much money, but it does force you to get creative and commit to guys for longer term in some cases by spreading their cap hits over a longer term and so on and so forth. It's an accounting problem. And if you can solve this accounting problem, you get to keep your players. That's how the salary cap really works doesn't actually limit your spending, just forces you to get creative with your accounting. And the Packers have been very careful to pay as they go, so they don't have to get wild with contract restructures and moving bonuses around and all that. But a a pandemic has a way of changing your plans a little bit. So that's why you're seeing them do things like David Bakhtiari restructuring his contract and so forth. But the cap isn't actually going to stop anybody from doing anything. It just forces them to get creative with their accounting. Occasionally, you can't get creative enough, and you end up in situations like the Saints and Eagles are going to find themselves in, and that happens sometimes. But the cap really doesn't stop anybody from doing anything. It's there for teams to use as an excuse. Well, we couldn't fit him under the cap, so we had to move on. But really, they probably wanted to move on anyway. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go into the free agency portion of the NFL calendar. Let's talk about edge rushers. The Packers' edge situation in 2019 was basically everything that I had ever hoped for as someone who follows football. I've returned to the 2015 playoff game between the Patriots and Denver Broncos again and again and again as sort of my epitome of what a great defense can do. I've mentioned this in the past before. I mentioned it when the Packers were getting ready to play Tom Brady in the playoffs, but that game was the only time I can really remember being afraid for a player's safety. The Denver Broncos' pass rush was just so relentless getting after Tom Brady in that game. It completely changed who he was as a player, and their pass rush was so fast and so violent that there was just nothing the Patriots could do. Even with the desiccated corpse of Peyton Manning playing quarterback for the Broncos, you just knew they were going to be able to score enough points to put the Patriots away because the Patriots weren't going to get a darn thing. In 2019, the Packers almost had like the light version of that. Z'Darrius Smith was a terror, Preston Smith, his loyal sidekick, and Rashawn Gary threw some good reps in there as well. Also had Kyler Fackrell around. There's a name for you. In 2020, that wasn't quite the case. As a group, the edge rush took a bit of a step back this year. And looking at each of the players that they have, I have a hard time saying exactly why, but I think as we go through player by player, some of the reasons behind their collective step back become a little bit more clear. So let's talk through this player by player, starting with Zadarius Smith. The good for Zedarius Smith in 2020 was very good. Twelve and a half sacks again, played every game, was one of the leaders in snaps on the Packers' defense. Old, reliable Zadarius Smith. The bad, though was there to be had, was there to be found. You can find things to dislike about Zadarius Smith's 2020 a lot easier than you can find them about his 2019 season. He only had 59 pressures in 2020, down from 101 the year prior. Now, of course, he was probably going to take a step back from 101, but 59 pressures is below what he had as a part-time player his final year in Baltimore. So why? why did his season shape up the way that it did? I have a couple theories. First, Zedarius Smith played a little bit more inside than outside in 2020. He was less strictly an edge rusher and more just a front seven type player. Kenny Clark being limited with injuries early in the 2020 season bumped Zedarius Smith inside a little bit more, or at least that's my working theory. It's not necessarily borne out by the numbers, but it's not impossible either. According to Pro Football Focus, he actually ended up playing about the same number of snaps total inside as last year, at least strictly defensive tackle snaps, like three technique and inside. But early in the season, he played a lot of inside reps. And that's going to cut down on your opportunities to be an effective pass rusher, at least in the same sort of way that he was in the past. He also had considerably less help in 2020 than in 2019. His slow start, the slow start from Preston Smith, I think put a bit of a dent in Zadarius Smith's pass rush because he didn't have a complimentary rusher the same way as he did in 20, 2019. And Rashawn Gary was good, but the way that they were used was not quite as complimentary. Smith never really got back to where he was in 2019, Preston Smith, that is. And Zedarius Smith's snaps suffered as a result, or production suffered as a result, rather. I'm not saying that he had a bad 2020, just that it wasn't quite as good as it was in 2019. It's not entirely on him, but the numbers are there. Let's talk Preston Smith then. There is some good to be had here, some good to be found. Preston Smith came on strong as the season went on. His pressures went up steadily as the season went on. He was getting more and more regular pressure on the quarterback. His first eight games of 2020, he had 10 pressures. The last eight, he had 16 and picked up a few more in the playoffs as well. The bad, though, is that slow start. You can't really get over that. He also converted fewer pressures to sacks this year. Just did not finish as often as he did in 2019. Even though he got to the quarterback regularly, or at least affected the quarterback regularly down the stretch in 2020, he was not able to get all the way there and get those sacks. So why did it work out that way? It's hard to put, put it on just one thing, but he looked a little bit disengaged at the start of the year. And it's hard to... Look, far be it for me to criticize anybody's physical fitness. I have not gotten a workout in since like October. Something about having a toddler and a full-time job and all of the things that are going on in your life makes it a little bit hard to get exercise in. But... Preston Smith came into the 2020 season looking a little bit out of shape. And I think that's understandable given the circumstances of the off season. Some people need structure. Maybe Preston Smith is one of those people. And honestly, that doesn't bother me as much as it probably could. Because ultimately, he played better when it mattered most. And that's really what you need from your top-end players. Sure, you'd like them to be at a super high level all season long, but Having Preston Smith be the same Preston Smith at the end of the season that he was at the beginning really wouldn't have changed anything for the Packers this year. It is concerning that he came in out of shape, maybe, theoretically, but he did get better as the season went on. So don't look at that as an enormous criticism of Preston Smith, so much as just searching for a reason why he may have started out a little bit slowly. Rashawn Gary, as the Packers' third edge rusher, took some serious steps forward in 2020. And really, that's all I think anybody really needed from him. Even if he came out like gangbusters at the start of the season, he still probably would have been the, th- the third man on the depth chart behind the two Smiths. And he took serious steps in 2020, really started to harness some of his great athleticism. While Preston Smith looked a little bit of disengaged, Rashawn Gary looked dialed in all season long. The intensity, the effort, the hustle, it all was there. He had an early season sack of of Matt Stafford that was all just hustle. A long, drawn-out, slow-burn pass rush that included Stafford rolling away from him. And Gary turns on the Jets, comes around the corner, chases him halfway across the field, and ends up with a sack. You didn't see that kind of play from Rashawn Gary in 2019, but you got it fairly regularly in 2020. There really isn't that much bad to talk about when it comes to Gary either. But as we continue to evaluate him as a player, I think it is worth mentioning how he compares to other edge rushers taken in the first round, specifically Montez Sweat and Brian Burns. Now let the record show that I was a big fan of Montez Sweat coming out of the draft and let the record also show that Rashawn Gary's college production was a big reason that I was concerned about taking him 12th overall. I was also a fairly big fa- uh, fan of Brian Burns and wondered a little bit why you took the Traitsy guy with limited production in college over the Traitsy guys with excellent production in college. So how do those three guys stack up right now? Well, through two seasons, Brian Burns has the most total pressures. He's got 87, Montez Sweat has 81, and Rashawn Gary has 62. But both Burns and Sweat have been day one starters in their respective organizations. Burns with the Panthers and Sweat with the Washington football team. And we can see that if you break it down as a rate stat, Rashawn Gary is right there with both of them. In terms of pressure rate, actually, Rashawn Gary is the top prospect out of those three. He's gotten pressures on 12.4% of his pass rushes in his career so far, 62 pressures on 501 snaps as a pass rusher. Brian Burns is just behind him at 12.3. He's got 87 pressures on 707 rushes, and Sweat is behind them both at 10.5%, 81 pressures on 771 pass rush snaps. Burns and Sweat are both considerably ahead of Gary. Burns has in sacks. Burns has sixteen and a half and Sweat has sixteen in two seasons so far. Gary just seven in the regular season. And all three have been fairly durable. Rashawn Gary has played in thirty-five of thirty-six possible games, including the playoffs. Montez Sweat has played in thirty-three of thirty-three games so far, and Brian Burns has played in thirty-one of thirty-two. I'm not saying this is good or bad, or that the Packers should have done anything different, but just saying this is worth keeping an eye on as we continue to evaluate Rashawn Gary. I would say I am a Rashawn Gary fan in 2021 for the record, but I do think it is worth having that context. Of note this year on the Packers, there really was no fourth edge rusher on this team. So last year they had the Smiths. They had Rashawn Gary. They had Kyler Fackrell. This year, they've got the Smith. They've got Rashawn Gary, and really nobody else. The only other uh, edge rushers who took any snaps on the Packers defense were Jonathan Garvin and Randy Ramsey. There's not a lot to say about either of them because both of them were under a hundred snaps. Jonathan Garvin, still a nice traitsy prospect. When I say I'm talking, when I say the word traitsy, it's T R A I T S Y a made-up word but guy with good physical traits is what I'm I'm trying to get at there good physical traits uh big long arms good college production good athlete overall but still very very raw I don't have much to say about his 2020 it was going to be a long shot for him to get on the field in any real capacity in 2020 but I'm encouraged by what we saw from him for two reasons first he made the roster in a pandemic which is good and speaks to both what they think of him as a prospect and what he is as a prospect right now. Secondly, he also found a small role. He carved out some space for himself on special teams and uh, displayed a little bit of energy and juice when he was on the field. Really, what else do you want from a seventh-round pick? Same kind of goes for Andy Ramsey. As far as the good for him in 2020, it's basically the same, but Substitute is an exclusive rights free agent for his physical gifts, though Ramsey has some excellent physical gifts as well. He too is still a pretty raw player, but he too you have to be a little bit encouraged by because, well, he got on the field and figured out a way to contribute even if he wasn't going to have a big role in the defense. Now, a couple other linebackers or edge rushers we should talk about there's really not a lot in the pipeline as far as developmental prospects, but I want you to stick these names in the back of your mind. Tipa Galliay out of Utah State. he was an interesting prospect, six foot five, good athlete, long, but only two hundred and twenty nine pounds when he reported to the Packers last year that is light, even for the traditionally fairly light edge rusher position. uh Delante Scott, a guy that I thought was going to make the roster coming out of camp last year, uh, but just didn't really get that many opportunities with training camp being the way that it was, but good uh, height, weight, speed prospect 6'5", 246. But in the process, at least according to the Packers, of transitioning to the defensive line, they now list him as a lineman rather than a linebacker. And finally, I don't even know if this guy is an edge rusher or not, but Ray Wilborn was signed as a first-year player out of Ball State, spent a little bit of time on a couple other practice squads throughout the league, now is with the Packers. But at six foot three and two hundred and thirty pounds, he's either a real big inside linebacker, well, big ish inside linebacker, or a small ish edge. Uh, played a little bit of safety in college, so it's worth keeping in in mind that athletic background as the Packers look at their edge rusher position next fall. Let's talk about safeties. Packers are, well, safety is a, a weird, a weird position for the Packers. Mike Pettin liked to play multiple safeties. He liked to play lots and lots of safeties because he liked to have lots and lots of defensive backs on the field. And that's a great thing to do if you can get away with it. And to get away with it, you have to have a lot of good safeties. And unfortunately, the Packers do not or did not. Let's talk about him, Adrian Amos, the lead dog among the safeties and for good reason. Probably the second best free agent signing of the Brian Gutekunst era Uh, in his two years in Green Bay. He hasn't missed a uh, game. He's barely missed a snap. He played more than 98% of the defensive snaps in 2020. Nobody else on the Packers played more than 90%. Next closest was Jair Alexander with only about 88%. Adrian Amos played 100 more snaps than the next closest player on the defense. Not a flashy player, not a big playmaker, but he can line up all over the field. Deep safety, box safety, slot corner, linebacker. Pro Football Focus even has him with a handful of defensive line snaps this year. Take that for whatever it is worth. His running mate in the secondary is Darnell Savage. Played all uh, 15 games in 2016 uh, and really came on down the stretch. Early on, it looked like he was headed towards almost like bust territory. In the back half of 2020, and this is something we mentioned on practically a weekly basis on this year podcast, uh, he was a playmaker. Uh, he had ball hawks in something like eight consecutive games at one point. Uh, all of his interceptions, all four of them, ten of his passes defensed, uh, came in the, the back half of the season, and he just continued to find his footing in the secondary. But beyond those two, it gets pretty shaky. The next two safeties in terms of playing time are Will Redmond and Raven Green. You can kind of look at these two guys as basically two sides of the same coin or two versions of the same player. Neither of them is particularly good, but they both got asked to do quite a bit in the Packers' defense. I don't want to seem like I'm picking on Will Redmond, although if you have listened to this podcast for long enough, it might seem that way because he does seem to be a little bit of a whipping boy for this podcast. But Will Redmond was just not very good in 2020. That's There's really no other way to put it. Writing a piece for AcmePackingCompany.com, I put Redmond's season this way. I'm just going to read you a couple paragraphs here. Charting games is a funny thing. As good as it is to drill down past the counting stats and what's available in the box score, there's always going to be an aspect of subjectivity to deciding who gets credit or blame for the outcome of a given play. Well, there usually is, at least. In the case of Will Redmond, almost anybody you ask agrees that he was to blame for a lot of poor play in the Packers' secondary. According to Pro Football Reference, which utilizes charting data from sports radar, Redmond surrendered 15 completions on 22 targets when he was the primary defender, giving up 214 yards and a touchdown. According to Sports Information Solutions, he allowed 12 completions on 18 targets. Pro Football Focus blames him for 17 completions on 24 targets. You kind of see where this is going. Though people disagree in the particulars, they agree that for opposing offenses, it was almost always a good idea to throw at Will Redmond, end quote of myself there. Now, Redmond and very similarly, Raven Green are probably the victim of circumstance here in a small part. Mike Pettin wanted safeties on the field, at least three of them as often as not. That third safety has got to be somebody. And unfortunately for Will Redmond and Raven Green, it was usually Will Redmond or Raven Green. And opposing offenses knew it. They were liabilities in coverage. They didn't make enough plays against the run. And it seems like even as good a prospect as they are, traits-wise, they were just put in a real tough spot in 2020. So before we get to the last two safeties on the list, you kind of got to ask yourself, or I'm asking myself, how could things change for the Packers' safeties in 2020? This is not like a developmental position. You're not really looking to put people in the pipeline here, and we'll say forget about them for a couple of years, like you you do sometimes with edge rushers. Maybe they'll develop into something. No, you need production from the moment they step on the field, and the Packers don't have that right now. But I think there may be a chance that the safety group ends up looking a little bit better in 2021 just because maybe Joe Barry doesn't ask them to do some of the same things that Mike Pettin did. If you're not playing three safeties, chances are your Will Redmonds and Raven Greens are not getting exposed quite so regularly. Maybe that's not how it works out at all, but I think it's a theory worth considering. Last two safeties we'll talk about, then I'll let you go off into your Friday. Vernon Scott. Uh, Seventh-round pick last spring, good height, weight, speed, prospect, big safety, 6'2", 203 pounds. From day one, he kind of looked like a special teams ace-type player, and that's where he did most of his work in 2020. I don't see any reason to be discouraged about what he did last year. Didn't really play a lot on defense and some nice cameo performances and a couple blowouts, but really... You're not asking much from a seventh-round safety. Same goes for Henry Black. Undrafted free agent out of Baylor. uh, Was a safety linebacker tweener in college already. Kind of did the same sort of thing in Green Bay. He was responsible for one of the most hilarious plays of 2020, which was the late fumble he forced in the Packers' win over the Houston Texans. uh, That fumble where he got his helmet right on the ball, and it popped way up in the air and Adrian Amos kind of fell on it, and the game came to an end. What's not to like about that? Yay for you, Henry Black. So those are the edge rushers. Those are the safeties. What are your thoughts on those two position groups? Let me know either on YouTube, in the Discord, or wherever you would like to get in touch with the power sweep. I'd love to have your thoughts as we continue to go throughout this process, and if you've got a short review of either the edge rushers or the safeties, share it with me, and I will share it if we get any, on a future episode of Blue 58. Always love to hear your comments and feedback. And a great place to do that, as I've mentioned, is, uh, is the Discord server. Our patrons who join us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep get access to that private Patreon or Patreon-specific Discord server where everybody who wants to can talk Packers or funny things they see on the Internet or uh, lately exclusively about J.J. Watt, which is just kind of how the Packers' Internet is right now. J.J. Watt is the only person in the universe. But if you want to talk about J.J. Watt with us, that is fine. Uh, Just head over to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, chuck in a buck there, or whatever amount floats your boat, and you will get access to that Discord server. At the very least, if you enjoyed this show and you think somebody else would enjoy it as well, do me a favor and share it with them. That's going to help us continue to grow our audience, grow this conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers, and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.